Malcolm Holmline is the conference of Pre- is the uh, executive vice chair of the conference of presidents of major American Jewish organizations, and uh, he joins uh, Nahum every week for the weekly update, or most weeks, I should say. And uh, today, I get to fill in. I haven't done this in about twenty years. Good morning, Malcolm. How are you? Good morning, Mayor. It's good to be with you. I only wish for uh, Shalema to to our regular host, but I'm glad yes. that you're uh, there to fill in, and we should all. Remind, remember him on our tefillah today and tomorrow, and uh, wish everybody a good Chodesh, good Shabbos. Right. We need it. We don't want to, scare, we don't want to scare anybody. He's he's yeah. just he's staying off his feet and getting some rest. I don't want anybody That's to all, get but, too, uh, but, too concerned. But it can't hurt. You know. No, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> prayer always helps. So there is so much. Uh, speaking of prayer, there's so much going on in the world right now, as, as there often is. But uh, you know, we've we've uh, pinballed from. Uh, from uh, pandemic to war, and uh, the the uh, certainly the potential to for that to uh, to uh, become a much larger conflagration, God forbid. Um, and there's so much misinformation about what's going on as people follow the uh, Russian invasion into uh, into Ukraine. So, uh, Mr. Holine, from your standpoint, you're plugged into so much. What is the best info you have right now on the state of the war? how Ukraine is doing, what Russia is up to, share with us. Okay, so we we have tried to be in touch uh, really around the clock every day with communities there, with people there, with experts, uh, both in Ukraine and outside of Ukraine, who, uh, because there's such a, a an overload of information and much of it not correct. And it's, you know, what they call the fog of war it's inevitable, but it's, it's true. And it's true even in reports on the Jewish community and reports generally. Uh, it is safe to say the situation is terrible and uh, getting worse as the days drag on. It'll be harder for communities to provide. Many of them stockpiled food, water, other things. Uh, it's more difficult because it's hard to move outside. It's harder to move people on the roads are, are clogged and bridges have been destroyed. Although people are continuing to move, there is a, an agreement to create a safe corridor, uh, but both sides would not shell. Um, we don't know yet how that will work out, but right now there's a commitment to allow humanitarian relief in and to let people out. Uh, more than a million people have left, most to Poland, but also some to Romania, to Moldova. We have uh, entire groups of Jews who have, who have uh, left. Men between 18 and 60 are not permitted to leave the country. They have to go back to fight. So they families are being uh, divided. The, uh, the numbers uh, of refugees is, is estimated to go up to 4 million, 3 million plus, uh, which is a huge uh, oh, burden uh, on a lot of the countries. Uh, remember that a lot of the Jews in, in Ukraine are older and have been serviced by different community centers, by different groups. You have a network of Chabad, you have Atzala there, we have um, the JDC uh, on the ground. Uh, banks are closed, so people, even to transfer funds, has to be people who are well-established and are able to, to take the money and to make sure that it's used properly. Uh, the, the, I spoke yesterday with the ambassador of Ukraine, and she informed me that 9,000 Russian soldiers have been killed. And this is huge. That, that uh, is, that, that's really confirmed? 
That's... She said that's a Ministry of Defense number, uh, which is, I guess, as authoritative as you can get. Again, right. we know that it's difficult and both sides will, will, will um, say things to their advantage, but she's pretty reliable. She's, she is reliable. Right, I think right. the number coming from the Ministry of Defense is, is reliable to a degree. Uh, but, you know, for Russia, this is a big issue. Russia has tolerance for a lot of stuff, but not for body bags. And we remember it from Chechnya, remember it from Syria even more, where they dispose the bodies rather than has having the scenes of body bags coming back. And yeah. the, there are reports of that already in the Ukraine as well. So the Russians who expected, I think, a blitzkrieg attack are bogged down. The soldiers don't seem to be uh, highly motivated. Uh, there are reports that soldiers are selling the fuel from their tanks and car and vehicles to neighbors and then saying that trucks have broke down. The um, This convoy of 30 miles has largely seemed to be stuck. Uh, the roads, which were they thought would be frozen, are very muddy. Uh, all of these are factors which explain some of the on-the-ground uh, developments. The hitting of, of the nuclear reactor today is, uh, first of all, it's a very dangerous thing because a wrong shot or something going wrong there could have released uh, radioactivity. That is not the case. It did not. And there's no evidence of any uh, radioactive um, uh, leaks as a result of the attacks. I'm giving an array of issues to give people a sense of how complex, how many things are going on simultaneously uh the, the the multiplicity of aid that is coming into now into the ukraine germany sending weapons others sending weapons the same time belarus say, saying they're going to come in on the side of russia um russia doesn't have too many allies in, in the world uh, china so far has stayed out of it but it's a huge investment in a country whose economy is the size of italy we forget that russia uh, is a superpower because of oil. Without the oil, they would be the, they have an economy the size of Holland, and the the um, impact that this will have, and especially the sanctions, where the ruble has lost more than half of its value. Think of, of if your dollar purchasing price, which is suffering sure. under the inflation, we see sure. it here on a small scale, they're being impacted, and you know the, it could jeopardize Putin's rule. It could. To react, uh, cause domestic reaction and uh, the, the uh, sanctions against the oligarchs in whom he's reliant and who play such a critical role there. And unfortunately, there are good people who are being sanctioned as well, that um, right. these are all factors that are going to determine what the course in the next couple of days will be. Well, when you, when you point out so astutely that uh, without oil, Russia's economy would even would be even more constricted than it is. It begs the question: Why are or are is this actually true that countries are still continuing to pay Russia for oil, and where they're essentially funding his war and funding it? First of all, at a very high price when oil is at least one hundred and five dollars. By the way, Iran benefited from it as well, and part of the reason why they are playing games in Vienna is because the price of oil is so high. They had a $25 billion windfall this past year, three quarters of it to China in oil sales because the price kept going up. Russia is the major beneficiary. They're the largest exporter of oil in the world, oil and gas. And uh, so they are benefiting from the higher prices. The problem is that there's a shortage of supply. And while Nord Stream is off the, the 
supply line that was supposed to go through Germany. Germany canceled it. Um, the uh, the energy is still necessary. It's a cold winter, and and it's not a time when people can do without uh, heat. Uh, but it will be much more limited, and people are looking for alternative sources. Israel and the Middle East could become one of them. Uh, that's what people are pressing now about a pipeline. We we canceled, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, the Mediterranean Eastern Mediterranean yes. pipeline was done very inelegantly. Um, whether it was economically viable or not, we don't know. But we know that it was canceled, and instead right. they're doing electric grid. Grid. So that was there. Was there any U.S. Was there any U.S. pressure involved in that cancellation? I, I saw something that said it was, but I didn't necessarily. It was strictly it. U.S. It was. Strictly U.S. It was U.S. decision. It was not meant to be leaked. They say that it was a white paper, but the fact is that they were going to cancel. They say it's economically not viable. It's a six billion dollar project or something. But at the same time, the electric grid, which is a billion dollar project, was approved because the Europeans decided to go ahead. Uh, the biggest problem with the it was the way it was announced that the uh, that the participating countries, Israel, Greece, Cyprus, were not notified, and they found out about it in, a, in an unfortunate way. That, so, but it, the the point is that you put pressure. We should have just at least left it on the table that the Russians and others know that we have alternatives. The more we eliminate alternatives, like doing away with the Keystone Pipeline and others, some argue, send the messages that we're going to be more reliant, or at least our allies will be more reliant on on their oil, and the, the price keep go, keeps going up. And I, I think that. Um, uh, that we, we, you know, we we have to continue the search. People say, you know, solar and all that. It's not going to fill the gap, right? Certainly not in the short term. Do you do you see any? Have you heard any indications that the president might reverse himself on the Keystone Pipeline? And if he were to do that, if he were to do that, what time what time frame is there to finish building it out? So there have been such reports. There were members of Congress who who are pressing for it, mostly Republicans. Um, but I think others who, who uh, I actually am in favor of it and, and believe that, that we should go back and find uh, and, and utilize America's domestic resources. We're, we're an exporter, we became a net ex- exporter of energy. And just tapping the reserves is not a solution to the problem. We need to find the longer term solutions and the Keystone Pipeline could be, I would hope that at least be revisited I know that there are good arguments, there are environmental arguments, others against it, but I think we have to look in a practical and pragmatic way to see how we protect the environment, the, the land and all those uh, areas, but at the same time, assure our security. We cannot become dependent again. We cannot allow others to be dependent. Um, it hurt our relationships with Canada and with others, uh, by the way it was done. So I, I hope it's um, it's something on the agenda at least. Right. Um, moving on, moving sort of back to uh, the the battlefield, as it were, um, Israel is between a rock and a hard place uh, in terms of how it is, uh, at least publicly, been approaching the subject of supporting the Ukraine uh, because of its relationship with Russia, because of the Russian, you know, uh, forces, you know, on Israel's border. Um, what is uh, wh- what is the latest on that? And do you do you see any anything more to come? Do you think Israel might uh, adjust its position at all? Israel has adjusted its position. In the beginning, it, it was um, more nuanced in the way Bennett spoke, and you saw that Lapid mm-hmm. came out in a much right. more forceful statement. 
the international pressure, including from the United States, uh, resulted in, the, in, in I think, some of the change in tone. But for Israel, this, there, there are special considerations. People have to remember, you know, while it's, po- it's, it's posited as a superpower, it's a small country. Right. And it's reliant on a lot of things that, you know, United States can do, others can do. They're not facing, you know, Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, and, and um, Islamic Jihad, as well as the Syrian situation. Russia controls the skies in Syria. And till now, Israel's had more or less freedom of action. That could be easily closed off. Israel, uh, Russia has the rockets there, the missiles, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. They already started... You saw in the UN to say, well, we're not going to recognize Jerusalem. We're not going to recognize sovereignty over the Golan. Uh, there are a lot of things that Russia can do. Again, I think you have to take moral stance. I think you have to stick to principle. Uh, it's what we would expect of others, and and people expect it. But we also have to be practical. Israel has 800,000 Jews in Russia to worry about. Right. There are 300,000 Jews in the Ukraine estimated. And so Israel doesn't just worry about what's in or on its borders it has to worry about its responsibilities and is doing a great deal for the jews in ukraine and has spoken up with Zelensky. and it's easy for and i was disappointed that lindsey graham went public with an attack uh on israel now that moderated it because israel did vote in the un etc but mm-hmm. still that that does damage and and now we see the linkage that some of the media is making when they talk about uh, the Palestinian issue with the Ukrainian issue, when there's no similarity whatsoever, right. and no connection whatsoever. But once you introduce it, you know, and of course we knew they were going <clears> to <throat> try to exploit the issue as right. they do everything else against Israel. There's there's no issue that the Palestinians or their apologists won't try to make about themselves. I mean, that's, that's right. And remember, the, life. The, the president of, of Ukraine is is Jewish. Right. And very and openly and proudly Jewish yeah. Prime minister, the defense minister, the mayor of Kiev <clears throat> is at least partially Jewish. I've met them all. I met them just two months ago at the 80th anniversary of the Babi Yar massacre, right. um, which I, I participated in and, and got to meet them and see them and uh, talk to them about. Uh, 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 and nobody had on their mind that this kind of thing uh, would happen. You know, Zelensky's popularity was very low before the war, and now right. this uh, elevated. Also, you see a revival of NATO. You know, people looking again at NATO and saying, maybe we really do have to rebuild it because the response of the West is so weak that it sends right. the wrong wrong uh, message. And years ago, Putin said he didn't care if Ukraine joined the NATO. He didn't care about all these things. Now he's he's made it a, a uh, the cause celebrity for the the uh, causes Belak for this uh, conflict. And the, the uh, uh, ramifications of this are, are not short term. A lot of people are going to look at it. We don't know what China's interpretation of the Western reaction is and right. how long it took to, to do it. But one has to credit, though, the administration with the ability to mobilize the votes, 141 countries in the UN, and also the economic sanctions that are being imposed. I, I don't see how a country lasts long term without access to SWIFT. And I mean, there are some alternatives, but they're, they're small compared to the access to the banking system and, and the right. dollar, the, the flights, that their planes can't fly over Europe, over the United States, that so many things that will be limited is uh, for an economy that is uh, was teetering before, this could be devastating and could cause a reaction against Putin in Russia. Do you think that he may actually be in some jeopardy? I mean, we, we've seen reports of that uh, that oligarch who uh, put a million dollars on his head. 
Um, I don't know how much play that may have gotten in Russia. I think they're probably pretty good at clamping down on things like that. Um, or are they? Uh, do you think that that could be a factor? That somebody could actually go after him? I think that uh, I, I, he didn't put it. He put a, a reward for his capture, not his murder. Uh, uh, the, think, the, <laughs> the original, I think the original post on Facebook had sort of like a dead or alive poster, like one of those yeah, but, old but I'm Western things. He changed it, right? But yeah. He, 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 the, the, essentially, his offer was so if anybody wants to go out and get him, you know, you don't kill him, just capture him and have right. him removed. Uh, wink, uh, wink. But <laughs> but uh, could it? Yes. I mean, you know, if the numbers of casualties are true and the messages start going back, if they see that they're bogged down in a in a guerrilla warfare where the soldiers themselves don't want to fight and, and say, this is not what we, we were coming, what we were told we were getting into. Many of them thought it was going to be like Crimea. You know, you just come around, mm-hmm. surround it. It's yours or Donbass. This is not the case. And, right. you know, Ukraine is not a small country and the people there are 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 tough and, and will fight. And I think the the there's a, a reckoning that will come at some point. And he's very strong, Putin. He's very shrewd. He's um, the question is what what happened? What What is his drive and why he doesn't? He, I mean, he had the opportunity when he was surrounded them with 150,000 troops to negotiate something without having the cost, whether he thought he was going to be able to do a quick blitzkrieg strike against Ukraine, get what he wanted and, you know, overthrow the government, which is one of his goals. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll know when the books are written, but right, right now he's, he's, he's in a situation that is a lot tougher than what he anticipated. What do you think his actual motivation is? Is it that he is, you know, what he's talking about in terms of NATO and uh, not wanting a NATO country right on his border? Or is it natural resources? Is it wanting to rebuild the glory of the former Soviet Union? What do you think is actually motivating him? Your best guess. Well, he certainly does want to rebuild the the former Soviet Union, even if he doesn't take over the countries. What he did in in Kazakhstan when they had the uprising and he sent in troops and they calmed it and he withdrew, but the mark was left. (laughs) That when you, the stabilizing force and the power to reckon with is Russia. Uh, he has put pressure on all the former Soviet Union countries constantly, economic and political, et cetera, pressures. He, he does have a vision of wanting to, and he thinks it was a mistake for, for uh, them to pull out and to break up the Soviet Union. I think he, he would like before he finishes his term, look, he's 22 years in power, I think, that um, he resurrected the, the former Soviet Union in some way. But Ukraine is a special a special thing. You know, the people uh, and, and the flirtations of Ukraine with the West, with NATO, with any of the other arrangements, including asking to become part of the EU, and not only that, but Moldova and others, which all of which he sees then as the West creeping in to his backyard, and he likens it to them coming into Cuba, to South America, which they are. And, you know, it, one of the unfortunate things of these developments is we're seeing immense developments in South America to which people pay almost no attention. Country mm-hmm. by country is falling to anti-American, anti-Israel forces. Um, it, it, the election in Chile, the election uh, likely right. in, in uh, it was certainly in Argentina, but the likely one will come in um, in, uh, in Colombia, in in uh, uh, Brazil, where really pro- Brazil Israel, too, pro Jewish, pro Jewish guys are going to be facing very serious 
and the prognosis not positive, not optimistic about their chances for re-election. But then you add Nicaragua, Bolivia, Ecuador, uh, Venezuela, all these countries have fallen. We are seeing a whole continent on our border. And, you know, the Iranians and others take advantage of this all the time. There's a, a network of schools that they established that um, is uh, training people, recruiting, uh, and uh, both uh, imposing the Iran ideological argument. Uh, it's called the Amustafa mm -hmm. Um, international University. And while this may seem like a detail, it has branches in 50 countries and they inaugurated a big center uh, uh, in the Bolivarian, the, uh, the Venezuela University in Caracas. Our Treasury Department already sanctioned them two years ago. Uh, it's a propaganda operation and uh, for Iran. And now they have, uh, they're enrolling non-Iranian students to indoctrinate them, to make them Shia clerics disseminate their messages, and they, they train tens of thousands of students, including um, foreign current, uh, converts. So this right. is uh, Iranian funding, et cetera. So while we're all focused on one thing, we don't seem to have the attention, the ability to pay attention to more than one crisis at a time. Right. Vienna is being overlooked, which is a big mistake because the deal right. that's emerging from there is terrible. I wanted to ask you about that in a second. I'll just uh, recap for people. We're speaking with Malcolm Holmline, the executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. You're tuned to America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Heard and listen to sponsored digital radio around the world on the web, NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network and on the wonderful NSN app. Nahum has today off. He is uh, staying off his feet to recover from something, and uh, he will, God willing, be back shortly. Uh, my name is Mayor Fertig, and uh, Malcolm, you were starting to talk about the uh, Iran uh, nuclear negotiations. Uh, what What is the state of that? And we've been hearing, I've been seeing online some alarming things about uh, who is pushing for something that may be coming very soon that may be very bad. So the negotiations, um, we don't have all the details because they're, they're being kept quiet and because the events in um, Ukraine have so overshadowed uh, the talks, but they're not stopping. In the meantime, they came back with very hardline demands. And we believe that Russia is, by the way, playing a critical role on the, in the Iranian internal discussions, as well as dominating the talks in, in Vienna. And the Iranians came back with uh, more demands. It looks like they're reaching a, a, a deal that would provide them with billions of dollars of relief. This would not be the extension of JCPOA. It would be the Forschmeiser. It would be the introduction to the next step. But, the, but the, the sanctions removal, et cetera, and then they would limit to 5% enrichment. The problem is that once you allow 5%, it's just a jump to, to reinstitute back up to 60, let alone 90%, which is weapons grade. We know that once you have the know-how, you can't take that back. They are also, and this is the big sticking issue now, is they're saying that they won't allow the International Atomic Energy Agency to inspect both undisclosed sources and disclosed places where traces of uranium were found. And uh, they had agreed to it, and now they're reneging on that and saying they will not allow them to come in. This is a, a game breaker for the, uh, the U.S. and Europe, I hope. Uh, because without that, you don't really know. As it is, we don't know what secret facilities they have. What we do know is that they enriched way beyond the limit they were supposed to at a higher percentage uh, that, uh, of enrichment than they were supposed to. 
They are testing ballistic missiles, which they're not supposed to, and under the guise of a domestic space program. And they're working on the weaponization. So the breakout time, people say, could be three weeks, could be three months, whatever it is, it's a short time. And the, the provisions of the JCPOA are going to start sunsetting, meaning they're, they're limited in time. And the Iranians will just wait it out. And then the, the, the restrictions on them uh, would be limited. The United States... And unfortunately, uh, it seems, and the Europeans did not take a strong stand in, in the beginning. And they kept saying, you know, the deadline was February 1st. The deadline was this. Now they're saying this week is the deadline. And the Iranians keep using this time both to enrich and to advance their program. And at the same time, they see the building pressure. Now Ukraine, other things is, you know, takes away the, the presence, the attention. And they, they will exploit every, every loophole, every opportunity. And I think we have to understand that the, the removal of the sanctions against the IRGC people, against some of the, those who were named, people who were terrorists and involved in Iran's terrorist activities. And $7 billion will help Hamas, Hezbollah, all of the terrorist entities, the Houthis, uh, in their uh, activities. It doesn't go to benefit the Iranian people. That seems to be a, uh, a common theme in that part of the world about doing things uh, that don't benefit their people. Um, the, uh, as these negotiations, so to speak, go forward, and you, you said that the U.S. and apparently uh, Europe uh, is just you know, plowing forward, is there, why don't they seem to be taking into account the fact that at the end of the day, Israel is really unlikely to allow the, I mean, the, the prime minister has said it, he's, they're just going to do their, what they have to do. And they're not going to allow, you know, this existential threat to come to fruition. Um, are they taking that into account at all? Do they care? Do they believe him? I think they believe that they, they, they understand why it's essential for Israel. They keep paying lip service to that. Um, uh, we haven't seen Israel being given the buster bombers, the, the, the right, 52 the bombers bomb. or the buster, uh, the bunker, buster bunker bombers, bunker, bombers. Uh, bunker, buster bombers, a big, better <laughs> America. Um, uh, so they haven't, uh, uh, but Israel is taking all the necessary steps and pre preparation. They cannot allow Iran to go nuclear, but when you want to attack a reactor, let's say, and I'm mm -hmm. saying they are, I'm saying if they would, you can't do it once it's hot, once it's activated, because then you have radiation emissions right. that both we, there and it floats the across the region. Today. And it floats across the region. It doesn't stay right. in one place. Uh, so the, and, and Iran is not a, a small power. They also can activate all the terrorists around, uh, you know, Hezbollah with 150,000 missiles and right. more guidance systems, more precision uh, with drones, with other things as we've seen. Uh, from Syria, from Iraq, from Yemen, the, the drones that they have in Yemen can hit Israel, uh, southern mm -hmm. Israel, and of course in Gaza with tens of thousands of missiles, we've seen what they could do. So for Israel, it's a huge decision, maybe a necessary one, like O.C. Iraq when everybody you know right. screamed and yelled and then everybody had to pay homage to Israel when Saddam Hussein didn't have a nuclear weapon to, to respond right. to and kill our troops. We cannot allow Iran to have a nuclear weapon. And President uh, Biden, like all others, are saying that we're not going to allow it, we're not going to allow it. But the problem is that they're creating all the conditions for it. They break the deal. And in six months, all of a sudden, we're facing a nuclear Iran. 
Right. Uh, and, and again, Iran's economy is collapsing. More than 50% of young people are unemployed. The, 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 um, their reality currency is 10% of what it was. The only thing that's saving them is the high price of oil. The, they, which they trade primarily with China, as I mentioned. They have minor exports. They, they uh, are spending money on their uh, army, and, but not on the people. The drought covers more than half the country, very significantly more. People have left all the villages and stuff, moved into the cities because there's no water there, uh, which means agriculture is dying too. Wow. There are so many factors, which I don't want to bore everybody with now, but they... I mean, their country, and that's why the economic sanctions were so powerful. And the people said, we'll suffer for it. I talk to people in Iran regularly, and they said, we'll take the additional sanctions. Don't worry about the consequences of us if it topples this regime, which is so oppressive right. to them. And, and you know, the, the uh, Khamenei is old. We don't know how long he'll last and what kind of fight there will be. Right. You see, it was called, quote, a, a hard, harder line. They're all hard line. It's just right. a little tougher. But you see that guys who are responsible for the Amiya bombings being rehabilitated, you see that. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the signals that this is an extremist regime and we know what their goals are. And the America should be worried about this. You know, as I, that's why I cited South America, because Iran is activating a lot of these things. They're building the cells there. They can attack America for an hour and a half off our coast or two hours from our coast. This is not hypothetical. And right. so what happens in Iran will have ramifications for American security, for European security. They have the missiles to deliver now to most of Europe, uh, uh, ballistic missiles. And they, they will, they're moving, working now that they'll be able to hit the United States directly. Something most people can't even fathom. Like, we don't even think about that. And the Philippines now wants to start a nuclear energy program. Where everybody's looking at this and saying, we're not going to be left behind. And, right. and as soon as they have it, you think Saudi Arabia, you think the others are going to not, uh, demand Egypt to have a nuclear program. And they can buy it from Pakistan. They'll buy it from others. Or they all have, uh, Egypt has very good scientists. They'll right. be able to, to develop these things on their own. Um, in, in terms of the missile threat potentially to Israel, uh, potentially we see we've seen it so many times over the last number of years. Uh, they're said to be de de uh, to be developing a a um, laser a, a laser. Thank you, a laser alternative to Iron Dome. What? How? I'm sure it's real, but how far out is that? How far along the development track is that? Well, it's not real uh, yet, but mm -hmm. it, it it is expected by the end of the year that they will have the ability. You know, the problem now is when you shoot Iron Dome, you have to shoot two rockets. It costs $100,000 right. to take down a $1,000 rocket that they, you know, assemble from cutting down the street posts and right. you know, putting together these crude <laughs> rockets uh, now with guidance systems and stuff. So, and they're becoming more and more powerful yeah. and have longer distance. So it's critical. Uh, but with laser, it would cost $200 to take down a $1,000 uh, uh, rocket. So, the uh, this is a priority for Israel right now. There are many agencies, particularly Rafael, that's working on it. But there are other companies that are now being formed. Uh, the prime minister spoke about it, but he was really uh, it was a prospective statement. It wasn't a, a statement of a current uh, capacity, uh, but it's a very important one. And uh, I know companies that are working on it and others who are developing unique approaches to this. And uh, God willing, uh, they say that by the end of the year, they'll have at least the prototype or something uh, operational to to see and that Remarkable. that's a game changer right because you know so, when, it, when you're like facing 
150,000 missiles from from Lebanon and they can fire four or 5,000 a day. You know what it takes to, I mean, Israel can't produce enough uh, Iron Dome missiles to, to take it down. All of right. the uh, well, as we saw, they were coming. dependent. Israel was dependent on the U.S. restocking them. Exactly that whole that whole argument. Um, w- w- on the subject of weapons, and I think with this we'll probably conclude, unless there's something else that you uh, that you want to discuss. Um, going back to the Ukraine uh, crisis, um, one of the things that Israel, I guess, has an option to do or could do to help Ukraine without, uh, you know, w- w- without you know something really truly overt is to sort of look the other way about transfers of Israeli weapon technology that other countries have bought. Is that something that could be on the table? Sort of, uh, you know, easier to apologize later than to ask for permission now? Say it again, that Israel will do what? That Israel could allow other countries that have purchased Israeli weapons to transfer those weapons. For instance, people have said, uh, well, why didn't they send Iron Dome? Because that would be like declaring war on Russia. Um, you know, but, but Israel has other weapons out in the field that other countries have purchased that could theoretically... Um, be transferred to Ukraine, you know, right. with, uh, I guess needing Israeli permission formally, but could they just look the other way? Because that's something that could happen. That absolutely is something that could happen. By the way, Iron Dome is not appropriate because it's it doesn't respond to the missile threat that Ukraine faces. So mm-hmm. Iron Dome is not, and Israel is not the only source. Why why isn't everybody else sending Iron Domes? Why is it Israel's responsibility uh, to provide? They did ask for Stinger missiles. Uh, I think Israel has tried not to get involved in arms supply. You know, many of the countries in Europe and others didn't when Israel was fighting against Palestinian terrorism and, and the Ispadas and the wars that they, they did not provide weapons saying, well, we're sure. not going to get involved and take side. All of a sudden, Israel has to is, right. is uh, positioned that it's somehow the responsible party. Germany didn't sell weapons until recently. And mm-hmm. or provide weapons, and so did many others. And I don't think Israel would stand in the way if uh, somebody who bought it from them decides to to use it. It's not their decision, but the uh, you know this this uh, constantly placing the onus on Israel, and we'll, we'll have to see you know when this is done what what the reaction is. We see rises of anti-Semitism, and you know Ukraine is not immune to anti-Semitism from its past history. Right. We have not seen those manifestations, and the fact that the president is Jewish. I think, you know, the claim of denazification, which is a term that they used after the Nuremberg trials and in the uh, post-war Germany, the United States and the Allies did a process called denazification. So it's not something he made up. Right. Uh, and and uh, but clearly there's no evidence that that the Ukraine is uh, <laughs> needs needs denazification when you have, uh, you know, Jews in prominent positions. And we have not seen outbreaks of anti-Semitism. I've asked about it. Um, quite the opposite. You see the Jews being recruited to the army and being requested and uh, that uh, public um, support and stuff has not, not been impacted. So the, the um, you know, but the, this placing the onus on a little country that has so many problems of its own, I mean, challenges of its own. I understand the moral position. I think Israel has to do it, has to stand up to it. Um, Putin, I guess, will understand because everybody else is is on that side. He he feels close or as a support that he's a supporter of Israel and has supported us in, in not limiting the freedom of action in Syria, et cetera. Right. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're, that's what governments have to make choices. And this was a very difficult one. 
It seems like some of this pressure in Israel, of course, is driven by media reports and, you know, reporters choosing to write about it. You know, they're not writing necessarily a long article about Hungary, you know, not allowing weapons to traverse its uh, its, its territory, but they're happy to write an article about Israel and, you know, what it has or hasn't done. Right. Israel is news, but also you have a big eternal debate in Israel, which makes news, so they pick it up. You still have more reporters, you know, I think in right. Israel than you have in any of the peripheral countries there, right. and certainly in, not in Ukraine. So. You know, we're, we're juicy news and we just have to recognize right. that. Right. There are probably more reporters like in uh, two neighborhoods in Jerusalem than in the whole Hungary. So probably anyway. two and still and waiting for any kind of issue there, despite the, uh, the focus on, uh, on Ukraine. But again, we should not lose sight of what's happening in Vienna. We should not lose sight of what's happening in other places. We have to have the capacity to walk and chew gum and deal with more than one issue at a time. Right. And uh, hopefully... You know, that that will be the case because there's a lot at stake. Right. Well, China is probably just, you know, taking notes very carefully to see exactly how the international community reacts. And then, uh, you know, Taiwan could be toast. That it's very realistic uh, assessment that everybody will read this and determine now to what degree can you rely on the West if you're an ally? To what degree do you, you know, one of the things that Putin did was to demonstrate that he's a reliable friend, you know, like he stands up for his friends, Syria, others, mm-hmm. um, and, and always highlights that the West doesn't, that we pulled out our ships from the Gulf or we did other things to say that the United States is not a reliable ally. The United States is, we stood, uh, and, and Israel certainly proved it in the war in Azerbaijan with the, and in other conflicts, uh, but you know, the image that gets created and people don't feel they can rely on them and when they're in, in very difficult straits, it affects then their future policy and, and where they will stand. Well, so look, look all, at Afghanistan. all of this has long term ramifications. Yes, Afghanistan right. sent a very powerful message. Absolutely. Right. OK, well, I, uh, I thank you very much. I, um, I don't think I've had the, uh, the pleasure and honor of uh, having this kind of conversation with you on the air in, I, I think, about 15 or 20 years. So I, I've certainly enjoyed the opportunity. And uh, I thank you very much. Will you be uh, with Nahum next Friday, God willing? Uh, next Friday, I may be back in, in the Middle East. Uh, I hope Shabbat Friday in Israel. So uh, it's not certain, but uh, I will try to be on the show no matter what. And uh, but there is some also good news. You know, the United States and good, Israel good are news? doing are doing joint patrols now in the Red Sea against terrorism. There's uh, American planes based at Uvda Air Force Base in southern Israel. Interesting. And, uh, together with the Israeli Navy, they are patrolling and going after some of the terrorist activities in the in the Red Sea. Um, there are, in fact, a lot of positive things. The, the, the relationship between the American military and the Israeli military, and, and because Israel now is in CENTCOM, in the Central Command rather than European Command, the level of cooperation has even gone higher and uh, working together. So this will, of course, never make news, but it's a reality. So it's a little something positive to, to go. And that when I was in Yushalayim last week and went to Ir David and went to see in Gehenam, you know, in Gehenna, um, yeah, right. the valley where they are building mm-hmm. the most amazing biblical farm with all the things, including the something about grape that. crushers and, and the olive oil things, the big stones that the kids can roll around. They're going to build it because of Shemitah. They can't plant things, but they right. have flowers and other things there. It's going to be amazing. The new discoveries at the Kotel are unbelievable. People just should go. 
celebrate Israel, enjoy it. I know the numbers are picking up, and God will, you know, Pesach is sold out. Most of the really? told me, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And, and not with Israelis, with with foreigners. Uh-huh. Um, and airlines are are filling up. So if you're going to go or oh, go after sure. Pesach, book now. But it's certainly there's going to be a, I believe, a big upsurge. Uh, of the pent-up demand for people to get to Israel. And they appreciate Israel more because for two years it couldn't go. We mm-hmm. take it for granted. And right. I, I did go during this time regularly, but I, even now, I, when I was there this time, it was it's so exciting. There's so much to see. There's so much going on. And, and Mamish, what, everything that's being uncovered at the Kotel, at the, at the City of David, mm-hmm. it's, it's incredible. You see the stuff from the first base of Mikdash. You see Amazing right. discoveries and everything they found, you know, the bar where you're, you know, the pit where you, the prophet Jeremiah was put, you can go in it from the bottom now and, really? and experience it. It's incredible. I'm telling you, it's mind boggling. So I've always felt that your David is something you have to at least sort of, you know, review once a year. You need to go back every single opportunity, you know, because there's always something new there. Both there and at the tunnels that the you know, wrote the Kotel at the Kotel right. itself, new buildings. You have to see the new Zuckerman Center that we built there with the excavations in the back that go up against the old the, the Jewish quarter. When you say you, we, you, who are you referring to? The Zuckerman Foundation, I have a, uh, in which I've been involved, it's named for Mort Zuckerman, uh-huh. as chairman of the conference. Right. And we built a big visitor center in the back where the police station was, but also with the excavations that they did there, now mm-hmm. you can see it. They found incredible stuff right there. And and uh, they put up a glass wall, so you, when you go in the building, it's, it's incredible. You can see the Kotel from the back, and you see the history in the in the front or reverse amazing i'm, I'm sure we could talk for hours but we've gone over we have to okay. get to rabbi yudin but uh, absolutely Malcolm, thank you so you much my it's pleasure. been a great pleasure malcolm honline is the uh executive vice chairman of the conference of presidents of major american jewish organizations this has been the weekly update with malcolm and uh hope you've enjoyed it and malcolm thank you have a great shabbos good shabbos and good chodesh thank you chodesh tov to you as well